Yeah, start. Oh. Are you, you going to sing with us? That'd be awesome. Yeah, there's a mic right there.
Jesus is waiting, God so loved the world. Amen. Isn't God good? Isn't he good? I read the book of Revelation this week, the whole thing. It's part of my reading plan. And um, being in a throne room this week of heaven was extra special. Join me there, okay? Has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
there are children in the Sunday school age Sunday school class you can head upstairs now I just want to thank our praise team for opening us up and actually was kind of enjoying the fact that we uh, we couldn't see everything on the screen, I kind of thought it was just kind of a nice worshipful experience uh, listening to um, them uh, lead us in worship. So that was a, that was kind of an encouraging thing to me. I hope it was to you as as well. But uh, we'll see. Um, young people are dismissed. Just a little uh, note: we have a special day today. Uh, Braxton Miranda uh, just got married a couple weeks ago, so we're kind of having a little reception for them. So if you didn't get a chance to enjoy some of the treats and, to and meet them, they're down here in the front, so I'll, I'll have them wave, just wave, wave a little bit. We'll embarrass them a little bit. All right. They're the newlyweds, so if you see them, uh, you know, the, the PDAs are probably uh, a little more heavily in, involved in their lives, so that's great. Uh, we're glad to have them uh, with us uh, back after their wedding. And so you can join us uh, in the fellowship hall after the service to kind of catch up and see uh, meet them if you if you don't know them that's fine you can meet them and introduce yourself to them and just uh, have some good refreshments the gals work real hard in getting that stuff all put together I'd like you to uh, to uh, uh, we also have an interview at the end of the the service here so uh, we have a special couple in our our, our midst this morning uh, where are, yeah there they are they're over here okay uh, just wave at them uh, you can you're going to get a chance to meet them a little bit later in the service and then uh, afterwards uh, you can meet them out at their, their table in the end, at the entryway. Let me pray. Father, uh, just, uh, I just thank you for such a, a worshipful song to lead into the worship uh, of you through the study of your word. And I just uh, pray that we would build our lives upon you. And that would be not just a, a nice song and a warm fuzzy that we have on a Sunday morning, but it might be the, the commitment of our hearts uh, to, to trust in you fully. For you are our God and our King, I pray uh, for uh, Braxton and Miranda and ask that you would bless their marriage, encourage them and strengthen them. I pray that your word would speak to each of our hearts this morning in a way that only you can do. And we thank you for your goodness and grace to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I mentioned at the end of the service, uh, you'll hear from, from a young couple uh, who are demonstrating gutsy faith because they're leaving the comfort and convenience of their life in America uh, to serve overseas, cross-culturally, in, in a difficult place. And uh, this morning, as, we, as we, we think about this gutsy faith, the, the courageous faith, gutsy faith, bold faith, brave faith, 
is not just for elite Christians. Okay? It's not just something for those who are, you know, we, we traditionally say uh, and make this kind of thing. They're on a banana boat in Africa going up the, Am- you know, going up the, the, the Nile River or something like that. No, it's for every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we gain insight into daily exercising that kind of gutsy faith through the life of Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Now, you can open your Bibles there if you would, or if you don't have a Bible, you can use your phone or your device, or there should be a Bible underneath the seat in front of you somewhere close to you in close proximity. But we, we understand that the Israelites, based on chapter 13, the Israelites were, were spiritually and physically helpless and hopeless. If you have your Bibles and you're open to chapter 13 and 14, look at chapter 13, because in chapter 13 it says in verse 15, after God had, through Samuel, rebuked Saul for his disobedience, in verse 15 of chapter 3 it says, Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people who were present with him. And the point of that to me is that Samuel left. Samuel's a prophet of God, and so the word of God was absent. Okay, so the people were helpless and hopeless without the word of God and with, I say, without weapons of warfare. Now remember, the Philistines are approaching and they've divided into three companies and they're ready to attack and everybody's freaked out. They're hiding under uh, rocks and trees and, and then holes and cisterns and wells and graves and they're, they're, they're freaked out. So they're without hope, they're without the word of God, Without help and hopeless, without the word of God, but they're also without weapons. In chapter 13, verses 19 through 23, I find it kind of fascinating that they go into this diatribe about the the fact that the the Philistines were the ones who had to sharpen their weapons and the or sharpen their tools for agriculture, and the Israelites had to bring their hoes and their plowshares and all of their tools down to the Philistines to sharpen them. But you get down to verse. 22, and you find out what I think is most pertinent. So it came about on the day of battle that neither sword nor spear was found in the hands of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and his son Jonathan. We read in chapter 13, now it's 30,000 chariots and and, and 6,000 soldiers or 3,000 chariots and 6,000 soldiers, depending upon what your version is. Just say, they were as numerous as the sands on the seashore, the Philistines. And guess what? You have two swords and two spears. Let's go. And we're after it now. We, we're really emboldened. You know, we've, we've got all the weapons. We, no. So they were helpless and hopeless in that situation. And in the midst of that, we have Jonathan. Jonathan's remarkable faith. In our reliable God. See, in chapter 12, which you probably may not remember, and that's okay, but in chapter 12, God reminded them, I am with you. I have protected you throughout your history, and I will continue to do so if you fear me, and if you serve me, and if you Listen to my voice and do not rebel against me. That's chapter 12, uh, verses 22 and 24 
you can look at those later. But he will be with you. This is the God whom Jonathan exercised. He says he's reliable. And Jonathan's remarkable faith, trusted in this reliable God, exposed his father's failures. And he sets an example for us of what it looks like to be gutsy with our faith. To, to live out what we just sang in this song. To trust in, I will trust in you. I will live my life for you. And so, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 1 through 52, we discover several marks of gutsy faith with, with that, that within God's servants that unleash God's power to deliver God's people from that which is seemingly impossible. I'm going to read down through verse 15, okay? Not through 52, verse 15. And we'll, we'll do the, the, the flyover a little bit. I want to set the context. I want to give you a feel for what it's about. Verse four, chapter 14, verse 1. Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the Philistine, Philistine's garrison that is on the yonder side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah, under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. And between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistine garrison... There was a sharp crag on the one side and a sharp crag on the other side, and the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sina. The one crag rose from on the north opposite of Mishmash, Michmash, and the other on the south opposite of Geba. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let us cross over to the garrison of the, these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, turn, your, turn yourself, and here I am with you according to your desire. And Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hands, and thus shall, this shall be a sign to us. And when the, and both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, Behold, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. Now remember chapter 13? They were hiding the holes and the crags and in the uh, cisterns and in the, in the tombs. Verse 12, So the men of, gar of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will tell you something. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that sounds good. Yeah, come on, we got a secret. We're going we're gonna to tell you something. And, and then Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Notice he didn't say, into our hands. And he didn't say, I will give them into your hands. He said, the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Verse 13, then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees, hands and feet. He was bear crawling. Okay, he was bear crawling, his hands and his feet up the side of the crag, all right? 
with his armor bearer behind him, and they fell before they fell. That's the Philistines fell, okay, before Jonathan and his armor bearer, but and his armor bearer put some to death after him. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men within about a half a furrow of an acre of land, and there was trembling in the camp in the field. That's the Philistine camp in the field. And among all the people, even the garrison and the raiders trembled. And the earth quaked so that it became a great trembling. Several marks of gutsy faith that's manifest and present within God's servant here that unleashed God's power to deliver God's people from what seemed to be an impossible situation. The first one is gutsy faith implements a plan of action. Gutsy faith takes action, all right? And there are three important plan, parts to the plan. First, the plan was expressed, and the plan that was expressed ignores obstacles. Jonathan was not, he was oblivious to these obstacles. We've got two men, one sword, one spear, Okay? And uh, they're going to cross over to the Philistine garrison. That's chapter 14, verse 1. And there's three obstacles that Jonathan refused to let deter him from moving ahead. And the first one is the tepid faith of others. Okay, See, where is Saul? Where's daddy? He's sitting under a shade tree in Migron. Sipping tea or whatever. I don't know. But he's, he's, he has a spear. He has a sword. Jonathan has a spear. Jonathan has a sword. And daddy seems to be that his intention seems to be comfort. But Jonathan's intention seems to be conquest. I'm not sitting still. I'm moving forward. I'm moving ahead. Saul's integrity was compromised. In chapter 13, he was rejected as the king. He's going to be replaced. And he's hanging around with a high tub who represents a rejected priesthood because he's of the line of Eli. And back in chapter 2 and back in chapter 3, we learned that Eli's line was not going to be the priests. You're done. So we got rejected king with rejected priesthood playing at leading, pretending to leading. And we have Jonathan. So, whose integrity was commendable because Jonathan at this point knew that the kingship had been stripped from his dad, which meant that he would no longer be king. But yet he continued to serve the Lord and God's people anyway. The kingship is not mine, but I'm serving the king. He embraced his role as a servant of the Lord's kingdom, knowing he'd never be the king. Gutsy faith isn't deterred by the complacency of those around us, but attempts great things for a great God. We can, walk, we can watch the people around us, and, and they, they don't have this same faith. That, I think that's what was going on with Saul and Jonathan. He saw his dad, no, no great faith here, but I'm not going to be deterred by that. It was a year, little over a year ago when, when we at Creekside, small church that we are, were contemplating bringing on a youth pastor. And some people were skeptical. Some people would say, well, that's stupid. What, you don't, you're, not, you're not that big of a church. So, who cares? 
We're going we're gonna to step out and we're going to do this. He was not deterred by the tepid faith of others. He wasn't deterred by the terrain. I, I think we have a picture of the, the, the Valley of Mishmash. Okay? And so there's a crag on the left and a crag on the right. This is the terrain up which Jonathan and his armor bearer crawled to meet the garrison of the Philistines. Okay? Now, interestingly enough, Bozes means slippery. And Sina means thorny. Oh, I can go up the slippery crag or I can go up the thorny crag, but either one is not very inviting. He was, not also, he was also not deterred by the terrifying opponents which he faced. And again, chapter 13, which Doug uh, brought us into last week, described the terrifying effects. In, in, in fact, if you look at chapter 13, verse 6, it says in 7, When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and cellars and pits. Also, some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling, afraid. We're going up against the garrison, two of us up against the garrison, the outpost of the Philistines. And these are men who are trained in war and probably a sizable amount. Now think about it, folks. What is it for you that would represent a Philistine garrison that you would go up against at risk of your own life? Maybe not literally, but at least in some ways. Maybe some of you, uh, some of our young people just finished their semester in college. Maybe it's a professor at college that can hold your future or your life in their hands by what grade they give you. Maybe it's your employer that can determine the course of your life or can determine whether you have gainful employment or not. Maybe it's a family and friends who painfully ridicule and reject you because you're some sort of a religious nut because you believe in Jesus. And you're trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you make it vocal to others. Perhaps judge and jury that would convict you of a crime that maybe is a crime in the world's eyes, but is being faithful to God and His Word. I don't know. But here we go. That's the plan that was expressed ignores obstacles. Secondly, the plan that is explained identifies what overcoming faith is. Here's what it looks like to be gutsy in our faith based on Jonathan. Jonathan is armor bearer. This is the plan. We're going to cross over to engage the garrison. Most of us are like, I'll wait till it comes to me. And then maybe I'll stand up. Not like I'm looking for a fight. Jonathan and his armor bearer were looking for a conflict. Okay, They were confronting it. And there's two marks of gutsy faith that we see in their engagement. First of all, certainty or courage without certainty. Look at verse 6. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. These, un, these uncircumcised. You're going to hear that again in chapter 17. When Goliath is taunting David. How is it that this uncircumcised giant is taunting the armies of the living God? These uncircumcised and then what does Jonathan say in verse 6 perhaps the Lord 
will work for us. Think about that. Perhaps. He's acknowledging in that statement God's ability, but also God's freedom. There is, God could do it, but we have no guarantee that God would do it. I like the guarantees. You know, I'm like, I'm like into, you know, uh, hedge my bets and, and uh, can I say, I, I just said it in church, sorry. Uh, I, I like to, I like to uh, you know, have more guarantee. I like to be a little more sure that what I'm going to, I'm going to make an investment. I want to know, you know, uh, past results is no guarantee of future results, you know. Uh, but, hey, he says, perhaps the Lord, there's no guarantee. Courage to initiate spiritual conversations. Oh, that would be a, maybe perhaps the Lord will work. Initiate a spiritual conversation with our neighbors. Or with a coworker, or with a family member, that that would be a little bit scary. To pray to God for healing. That's perhaps the Lord would, but no guarantee that He will. Perhaps it's to defend the family, the traditional family as God designed it—one man, one woman for life. Perhaps it's to push back against the sexual perversion. Some of you heard this maybe this week that uh, Target, they, uh, they put out this new product line. Uh, they put out a new product line uh, the, promoting transsexualism, but they didn't just stop there. They, the, the merchandise include pentagrams and horn skulls and other satanic imagery that they're, they're marketing and selling. Now, I think it's, it's right for, for believers to push back against that, you know. To understand and, and to say, you know, this is morally debased. It's spiritually depraved, biologically dishonest, and sociologically detrimental. But everyone who's party to it is still redeemable. Wow. Jonathan and his armor bearer, they weren't deterred. There's courage without the guarantee of any certainty. And I think the second thing we see in this text, in verse 6, is there's confidence in God's ability. For the Lord, he says at the end of verse 6, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. <laughs> well, few is uh, two. You know, we got the garrison and two. Two against the garrison. Well, you know, God is not restrained. And, and they'd seen this in their history. They'd seen it in the past. God had delivered them, delivered them, delivered them, delivered them all. And you know what? You have too. You've seen God deliver by many or by few. God is not restrained to do that. No, he's not. Gutsy faith is fueled by confidence in God's unlimited power. We serve God. God plus us is the majority. He's not restrained. Our great God is able to convert the most hardened unbeliever. I, I mean, we don't have time, but you could hear, we could hear testimonies of people, and some of you are among those people. You say, there is absolutely no way I would ever have become a Christian. But it's like, God got a hold of me. Or you know somebody that was like, that person, ah, I'm sorry, they're out. God is able to redeem the most hardened unbeliever. He's able to draw back the most rebellious child. Our God is the God of the impossible. He's able to restore broken relationships. He's able to cure cancer. 
Perhaps you will. Doesn't mean that he will, but he could. And he has. And he will. Our God is able to comfort us in our deepest sorrow. He's able to provide the finances for our team to go to Haiti. <laughs> you know? He's able to provide for the ministry down in Pion, in PCMP. God is able. And He has continued, and He will do it. He's able to provide for the young couple that we're going to interview later, financially and spiritually. He's able to bring revival to America and the world. He's able. But are we trusting Him to do it? So, I, I don't know about you, I, I had a question, and I haven't answered this completely, but what great things am I trusting our great God to do? What great things? Because He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to His power, which works mightily within us. God Himself said, Is anything impossible with God? You can go to Genesis chapter 17, Genesis chapter 18, Luke chapter 1, verse 37. Nothing is impossible with God. That's what he says. Then the, the plan, thirdly, the plan executed immediately overwhelms. Uh, in, in chapter 12, or verse 12, I'm sorry, not chapter 12, verse 12. 14, 12. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will tell you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of of Israel. Gutsy faith relies on God and gives God glory. The Lord is given the credit here, right? And verse 13 and 14, <laughs> then they, Jonathan and the armor bearer whooped up on him. You know, they, they, they won the battle. They, they defeated them. And the consequence of the victory is in verse 15. Then a whole lot of shaking was going on, all right? But notice that the shaking now is in the Philistine camp when these, the people who were formerly causing the trembling, are now the ones who are trembling. Chapter 13, verse 6, they caused everybody to tremble and run and hide in the rocks and under the, in every little nook and cranny and every hole in the ground. And now they're the ones shaking in their boots because of what God has done. The earthquake. People are scattering. Trembling. God used the bold faith of one man to accomplish a great victory. And I ask myself, will I trust God enough to be like that one guy in talking to my friends and neighbors and family members about Jesus? To speak the truth to power in my classroom, in my school, or at work, or in the community, or in the culture? Or will I trust God enough to serve Him Step out in faith and serve Him in ways. So gutsy faith is, first of all, implements a plan. Secondly, gutsy faith inspires our participation, the participation of others or others' participation. Jonathan's brave faith uh, unleashed God's power, right? And it motivated others into action. Notice verses 16 and 17. It says, Now Saul's watchman in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away. And they went, I like this, here and there. Now they're scattering just like the Israelites were scattering back in chapter 13. And Saul said to the people who were with him, uh, Number and see how, who's gone from us. And they went and they numbered and told Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Okay. 
Saul abandoned, and then later on, I'm not going to read it all, but in, in, in the next verses, Saul says, well, we better find out if, if God's really working. So we uh, bring, bring on Ahijah, and we'll pray about this. And they, he, got a, he was trying to offer sacrifices to find out what God wanted. And his, I would call it, vain attempt at worship was uh, hijacked because of the commotion that was going on. And the commotion in the camp led him to believe, hey, we better get in the action now. Urgency requires our participation. And so they jumped in, and all of his people. And amazingly, in verses 20 through 22, there were people from Israel who were, who were traitors. They had gone over to the other side. And so you've got the cowards and the traitors now joining Saul and his troops to go against the Philistines. Because they were melting away. Because they were afraid. And we see that they were, the Lord delivered, verse 23. Then the Lord, and it says, the Lord delivered Israel that day. What did Jonathan say to his armor bearer? See, the Lord has given them into our hands, the hands of the children of Israel. Verse 23, that's what happened. The Lord has delivered them into our hands. It was Jim Elliott, missionary to the Aka Indians, who said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He and four of his brother missionaries gave their lives on that beach, not even a beach, in the middle of the river as they were murdered, martyred for their faith. He gave his life, and guess what it did? It inspired a whole wave of young people to go into missions to give their lives for Christ. Jonathan and his armor bearer were such people. Thirdly, gutsy faith is intolerant of manipulation. It's a fascinating story in verses 23 through 25 and the three steps of discovering Jonathan's intolerance of manipulation because, and we'll kind of tease it out again, I'm not going to read it all, so I encourage you if you haven't read it to read it, but the long and the short of it is that the glorious news of victory in verse 23 is tempered by the oppressive oath that brought agony during the battle. This manipulation, this oath curse, it was an oath, but it came with a curse, is implemented in verses 24 and 26. Once Saul, once again, back in chapter 13, it was Saul's folly that led to the problems, right? He had offered the sacrifices prematurely, and then everything was catastrophic. It, it, it went downhill from there. Again, he's the culprit. He, his folly led to Israel, Israel's distress. It says in verse 24, you can look at verse 24. Now the men of Israel were hard-pressed. We saw that ver, word in chapter 13, hard-pressed. What does it mean that they were hard-pressed? We see it in verse 24, verse 28, and verse 31. Some form of it. They were hard-pressed or they were weary. Why? Because Saul had selfishly insisted that the people abstain from food all day long until the, his enemy was defeated. Now notice that. His enemy was defeated. What is Jonathan saying? God will give us deliverance from into the hands of Israel. It's Israel's enemy. Saul's my enemy. And so while while, while Saul, while Jonathan fought God's enemies on behalf of Israel, Saul fought his enemies to avenge himself. 
Saul appealed to fear. Jonathan appealed to faith. Saul said, if anybody eats anything all day long until I avenge myself of my enemies, I'm going to off them. They're done. I'm killing them. They're done. You're dead. Fear. That's what motivated him. So let me ask this. I heard a church did this. We don't do this, okay? I mean, but there's a church that did this. They, they published the giving of everybody in the church. You know, here's how much they, this person gave during the year. Now, do you think that would motivate people to give? Or the fact that uh, someone that I know of in, in, in another church gave $50,000 to the building project. If you knew that somebody in the church stepped out in faith and gave a huge sum of money to, the, to, to this building project, would that motivate you more than you were shamed into giving because your giving was published in the bulletin? Yeah, it's a no-brainer, right? Well, Jonathan is using faith. Saul is using fear. And it didn't work very well for Saul. Remarkably, the, the text tells us that <clears throat> none of the people ate any food. So, and I, I don't have time to go into it, but they chased them all the way, like 16 miles, up and down all these hills and mountains and ridges and valleys. It was exhausting. No food for that. And they didn't eat. And then they walked into the forest, and the forest is dripping with honey. I mean, this, this is like, uh, you know, I don't know, Cinnabon heaven. You know, you, you just walk in there and it's like, whoa, man, my sweet tooth. And you, you want something. And some of you who get a little hypoglycemic like me, you're like, whoa, I got to have something to eat. If you're diabetic, you're like, whoa, we got to have some food. We got to get some carbs in us. And no, they didn't eat it. Fear, not faith, motivated his troops. And it was at great cost. Folks, is fear, not faith, motivating you? We've lived in fear for the last three years. In the church of Jesus Christ, we've lived in fear the last three years. And this is not God's way. We are to be people of faith. So let's live by people of faith. Abandon Saul's self-manipulation and adopt Jonathan's faith-based, selfless service and dependence upon God. Then manipulation the manipulative oath or the curse is ignored in verses 27 through 20 and 28. Uh, Jonathan was ignorant. He was ignorant of the oath. So he, he had left, right? So th that morning, I don't know, Saul got up and had this thing. Well, we're going to, before they left out for battle after Jonathan had led the way, uh, nobody eats until my enemies avenged. And Jonathan was gone. So he was out doing something. And he didn't know it. <clears throat> and so he came in and he ate some honey with the expected result. The text says in verse 27, his eyes brightened. I mean, his energy came back. He was like, woo, this is good. And his strength was renewed. And when he was told the oath that his father had in, in, in implemented and the curse that had just been brought upon himself, Jonathan's response illumines the contrast between him and his father. And that leads to the third point in this one, that the, the manipulative oath or the curse is indicted, it's, it's, it's convicted, and there are two counts on which he condemns it. First, the oath hindered victory. What does Jonathan, Jonathan say? If you look at verse 29, he says, Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. 
See how my eyes have brightened because I tasted this honey? And then he says, how much more if we had eaten? And so his, eye, I, his point is that if, God, if, John, if Saul had allowed them to eat freely, the victory would have been even greater. And he says, the slaughter among the Philistines has not been that great. I mean, we beat them, but, you know, we really didn't beat them that bad because we didn't have enough strength to do it. My niece uh, is involved in, like, these uh, mini, mini triathlons, and, and she's, she's tried, you know, so, so she, and she's done triathlons and uh, or tried, uh, I don't know, some sort of a triathlon. Just it's way too far for me to even think about, but it's, it's a big, big deal. And she will testify that if you don't have proper hydration and you don't have proper nutrition, not just before you begin, but all the way through it, you're burning too many calories and your body's going to shut down. That's what happens. They, they just shut down. And so the, the oath hindered the victory. Secondly, the oath fueled treachery. The people were starving so badly that when night came, he said, during the day, you know, all this day, so at night came, and they just started slaughtering animals and eating. They were eating it raw, basically. Just uh, you know, Some of you like your meat. I like my meat cooked. I like to make sure it's dead. Some people don't care, uh, but I, I want it dead. I like meat, but I want it dead when I eat it. And so these people were just eating it. They were so ravenous that they were just consuming it in violation of God's law because God had forbidden them to eat the blood, you know, because the life is in the blood in violation uh, of God's law. In Leviticus chapter 3, verse 17, and, and uh, verse, chapter 17, verses 10 through 14. And I've used this quote before, but George S. Patton, great military general for the United States, uh, World War II, Fatigue makes cowards of us all. When are you most likely to lose your temper? When you're tired or when you've had a really great night's sleep? Yeah, me too. It's like, man, just, just one, little, one little irritation when I'm, when I'm really exhausted. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm a coward. I, I forget everything that God has called me to. I, I just I, I have a tendency to abandon. And here it is. They abandoned everything that they knew God wanted them to do. They, they gave up and they just ate the blood because they were starving. Fatigue makes cowards of us. Now, this young couple that you're going to meet in a few minutes, uh, let's just imagine that, that, that they were asked to go serve and they could only, if they got more than five hours of sleep a night, they wouldn't get any financial support. Cut them off. No more than five hours of sleep a night, that's it. What kind of, that's stupid. But it would hamper their ministry and it would fuel or foster or at least entice them to compromise. Well, we need a few more Red Bulls then. Uh, we got to get some five-hour energy going. Uh, we got we to, gotta, you know, caffeine up. And this is what Saul tempted, his remedy... Uh, Bless his heart for this. Saul had a remedy for the problem. And at the, at the end of verse 35, it, it says that, uh, verse 34, And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Each one of you bring me his ox and his sheep and slaughter it here. He brought out a big stone and had them slaughter it so they could properly process the meat and drain away the blood. That to his credit. But the problem was that he was manipulating them and, and Jonathan was intolerant of it. The fourth Mark is 
gutsy faith illustrates and inspires devotion. And there's two actions that validate this. First of all, Jonathan is discovered to be the culprit because what happened was uh, they, they, uh, Saul said, let's go back into battle. And, you know, hey, they had something to eat. They got their energy back. So let's go finish off the Philistines. And the people said, yay. And then Ahijah, to his credit, said, you know, maybe we should pray about this. Now, again, this is my paraphrase. You've got to read it for yourself. Maybe we should pray about this. And so they prayed about it. And Saul said, very first thing, to the Lord, he prayed to the Lord, and guess what God said to him? Nothing. Nada. Zip. Silence. Saul thinks, okay, something's wrong, because he didn't think I did anything wrong, but somebody else did something wrong. So there's sin in the camp, that's why there's no answer from God, and so we're going to find out. So he sent the people to investigate what the source of the problem was, right? So here they were, emboldened by their victory, the full bellies, all this stuff. And then Saul suspected a violation of the curse that he had, don't eat or you're dead. He, he suspected a violation. Well, Saul's determination, so then he goes in this lot thing. You have to cast lots. Let's decide if it's Saul or Jonathan or the rest of the people. And then he asked the Lord, give us a perfect lot. Show us, identify it. Well, God was silent about whether they should go to battle, but God wasn't silent about who was the culprit. And the culprit was Jonathan. And Saul had the audacity earlier to say, even if it's my son, I'm so arrogant and so stuck on my ways, even if it's my son. And so you see in verse 39, for as, as the Lord lives, and he seals his determination to find the culprit and punish him with an oath. For as the Lord lives, well, is the Lord alive? Absolutely. So as the Lord lives, then he's alive, who, del who delivered Israel, though it is in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. I like this. But not one of the people answered him. His own people are totally down with faith, not fear. <laughs> so they don't say anything. And they knew. I mean, you better believe they knew. You better believe that they went into the, the forest and there was honey on the ground and Saul dipped his uh, staff down there or his sword and took a little bit of that honey. And one of the guys said, hey, do you know what you just did? You broke your father's oath and you could die. That went spread like wildfire among them. Did you hear what Jonathan did? Jonathan, the dude, he's dead, man. He, he did. But they didn't say anything. They're totally silent. God wasn't silent. So Jonathan is discovered to be the culprit through this uh, uh, casting lots. But then secondly, Jonathan is delivered from the consequence. See, Jonathan's confession, if you look at verse 43, Jonathan said, then, then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I indeed tasted a little honey. Confession. With the end of the staff that was in my hand, here I am, I must die. So there was his confession. There was his concession, I must die. You understand, that's faith. He was trusting himself into him who judges righteously, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. He knew that God is able to save by many or by few. And he knew that God may not save him, but he was going to do it anyway. Gutsy faith. Then Saul's condemnation comes in the form of another oath, and, and or not well, as is formally an oath. Verse 39 is not really an oath. Verse 44 is. May God do this to me and more also, 
for you shall surely die, Jonathan. And what's the conclusion? <laughs> no, he didn't die. Because <clears throat> the people stood up and said no. I like this. In verse 45, now notice what the people, the people said to Saul, must Jonathan die? This is the dude who brought deliverance to people, to us, our people. He stepped out in faith and you're going to off him? He brought about a great deliverance in Israel. Far from it. Now notice the phrase. Look at verse 39, first phrase of verse 49. For as the Lord lives who delivered Israel, Saul says, even if it's Jonathan, they die. Verse 30, 45, as the Lord lives, oh, we got a showdown here, folks. Verse 39, Saul, as the Lord lives, verse 45, the people, as the Lord lives, Jonathan's not dying. Well, we see who won. The injustice of killing the innocent man who brought about victory was so repugnant to the people that they stood up to their king, the one they asked for, and they said, uh-uh, not happening. It's not happening. And the reason for their defense, this is, this is where uh, I, I've come to this illustration and inspiring devotion. What was the reason they gave for defending Jonathan? Look at verse 45. Now look at me, look at verse 45. It says, for, uh, for he has worked with God this day. He worked with God. Saul, so you're working against God. Jonathan was working for God. It was Jonathan's faith that motivated the people. It, it was an illustration of gutsy faith, and it inspired their devotion. He demonstrated devotion to God, and he inspired devotion to God among the people. And they stood up for him. <clears throat> In rescuing, or actually the ESV says ransoming Jonathan. The ESV says that they ransomed Jonathan. The people reminded Saul that Jonathan illustrated and inspires true devotion to the Lord. We have, we have a couple uh, of friends that uh, serve as, as missionaries. And all through COVID, through the worst of COVID, they were traveling overseas to places hostile to the gospel. So all the restrictions, all the possibilities of getting COVID and you know, all the possibilities of being taken out because they're in places, and I've talked to you before about them walking in some places where they had just previously been bombed out, and so they're walking through crunched glass where they're going to hold their meetings because they've been previously bombed out. They demonstrated, they illustrated, and they inspired people to serve Christ. Isn't that, what, isn't that, isn't that the way you want to live your life? I want to illustrate and I want to inspire people. To follow my Christ. Not me. My Lord. And my Savior. Finally, gutsy faith intersects with worldly commendation. The end of this chapter is really kind of bizarre. Because it's a, it's a commendation of Saul. And it's kind of a summary of his life. But Jonathan's spiritual fervor, that's the first 46 verses... Which, I must add, wasn't blameless. You see, when the Bible, we read the Bible, it's never like, this guy is only always good. We're going to see that with David, right? He has his flaws. And this guy is only ever bad. And so here we have Jonathan's uh, spiritual fervor contrasted with Saul's spiritual failures. But they weren't without their success. He, he wasn't without some success. 
He led the people in battle and in victory over a lot of their enemies. But the problem was he wasn't doing it from a spiritual standpoint. And it ended up that they were always in conflict with the Philistines. Harsh conflict with the Philistines. And so if you're here this morning, you're listening online, and and you really have never fully put your faith and your trust in Jesus, here's the deal. God's deliverance of Israel and Israel's deliverance of Jonathan, ransom, point ahead to one who provides, through whom God works to provide our ultimate deliverance from sin and the consequence of sin, which is death. You see, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. In the same way that the people ransomed Jonathan, the Lord Jesus, when he died on the cross and bore the sins of the world, provided a ransom that would pay for your debt, for your sin, the consequence that you deserve, if you would personally put your faith or your trust in his death as the payment for your sin and in his resurrection in proof that he conquered sin and death. So if you've never done that, I just implore you that, you know, this is written, Jonathan's inspiration is for those who are uh, God's people, I invite you to become one of God's people by simply confessing with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Saved from what? From the consequence of your sin, which is eternal condemnation. And you'll be saved into a life of purpose and meaning to live by faith, gutsy faith, for God's glory. Because we're all slaves. We're either a slave of sin or a slave of the Savior. Choose your master. And if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, what a challenge, what an encouragement, what a motivation for us. God's presence and his protection and his power uh, to, to his faithful people, that's chapter 12, inspires us, should inspire us, I think, to, to demonstrate gutsy faith that in a great God that, that ignores the obstacles, that inspires others, that is intolerant of manipulation, that illustrates and inspires devotion to the Lord. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will work for us. Can we live that way? Perhaps the Lord will work for us. I'm going to invite you to pray with me as we, uh, uh, as we close this service because what we're doing here is just as the troops ransomed Jonathan, the Lord's death on the cross ransomed us if we put our faith or our trust in him. And he did it by paying the price with his body and his blood. And so it is our practice to close the service with celebrating and demonstrating our devotion to God through the taking of these elements of communion. The cup represents his blood. The uh, bread represents his body broken for us. I invite you to take a few moments to search your heart, to confess any known sin, and then as you feel led, nobody's compelled to, you come to the front or you come to the back table and you can take the elements. You can take them there or you can take them back to your seat. As we think about what God has done for us, we recognize our sin, that we don't deserve it, but we rejoice in what God has done for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and grace and mercy. I ask now that as we take these elements, that you would be honored and glorified. I pray that our hearts would be searched, that you would give us courage, Father, to live with gutsy faith, gutsy faith in our parenting, in our witnessing, in our working, in our living. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Bush, if you'd come on up. Uh, just a reminder as they're coming, uh, we don't pass an offering. The offering is on the welcome table. There's a box out there. If you would feel led to give, that's, uh, that's where you do that. So uh, I'm going to introduce, well, I'll ask you to introduce yourself. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I'm Nick Oaks, and this is Alicia, uh, my wife. So I think most of you know, but I uh, was admin assistant here for several months, so probably been getting lots of emails from me. And we're preparing to go um, overseas to Southeast Asia here in the next few months. Okay. So, yeah, tell us a little bit more about your plans and uh, what you're uh, hoping to do there. Yeah, so um, like Alicia said, we're going to Southeast Asia to work with a specific people group there. Um, and we are, our focus is church planning among unreached people groups. Um, but hold the mic up tight. Okay, it's a little shy. Yeah, so we're doing ministry among unreached people groups, and our focus is evangelism and discipleship. So church planting among those who haven't heard the gospel. All right. So how can we be praying for you guys? Do you have a card that has them listed that you would just refer us to? Or? Yeah. So we have a newsletter. We also have prayer cards that have general prayers for workers overseas. Um, but, yeah, so on our uh, – if you sign up for our prayer letter, then you can read the specific requests that we have. Okay. Yeah, and we send those out every few weeks. Um, off the top of our heads, just prayer requests that could be um, prayed for would just be safe travels. So we are leaving um, this summer for a couple of months to kind of uh, get a feel for the work and meet our teammates. And then we have a training that we will officially, which will uh, mark our official transition into long-term overseas ministry. And that's in November of this year. So just pray for all the travels um, and that there wouldn't be complications with that and that God would use us and also to work in the people's hearts we're going to be working with because um, they've had a lot of um, persecution and oppression where they are. So they live, they're refugees. So um, pray for the people and then also just pray for us as we prepare to go. And um, we have many things we are doing as we prepare to go and then also for God to provide um, finances and everything just to finish up providing finances for us. He, uh, he has been blessing us and um, with a lot of wonderful people supporting us and praying for us, but just that that would continue. So how, how much more uh, support do you need? Um, financial support. Yes, financial support. <coughs> so uh, we're, there's a, this could change just a little bit, but it's around maybe 20% more of our budget. So just people can give monthly or people can give on a one-time basis or um, however God leads. So Okay, yeah. so you got about 20, you're about 20% short. Yeah, just a few. Okay, all right. Almost there. <laughs> all right, so uh, Nick and Alicia have a table uh, right out in the entryway, so I really want to encourage you to stop by. At this point, currently Creekside is not uh, supporting them on an ongoing basis, but we really want to encourage people to prayerfully consider uh, financially supporting them, and that maybe some day down the road, down the future, that might change. Uh, but that's what we're trying to challenge you and encourage you to do, okay? So meet them, uh, talk to them. They're a great, great couple. Uh, they got a great heart for the Lord, and uh, they're going to be serving in a, in, a, in a difficult place. So they're going to have to learn a new language, new culture, uh, new everything, 
and so just be praying for them. I'm going to pray for them, and then we'll, we'll let you go. All right, Father in heaven, uh, just uh, thank you for Nick and Alicia and for their gutsy faith, Lord, to step out and to leave family, friends, all that's comfortable, all that's convenient, all that is, uh, they're accustomed to, and to uh, dig into serving you and invest their lives uh, for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. I pray you'd go ahead of them, that you'd provide uh, good contacts and opportunities yet this summer, that you'd provide for the rest of their financial support. I ask that you'd also raise up an army of prayer warriors that will keep them uh, before the throne of grace because they need your help. And again, Lord, the battle belongs to you. I pray that you'd continue to keep them advancing on their knees and keep them encouraged. May, you have safe, may they have safety as they travel. And may you continue to open doors of opportunity for them uh, as, they, as they continue to work on raising their support. We commit them into your hands and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Don't, stop, don't forget to stop by for some snacks and meet our newlyweds. You guys make your way out. Don't stop, forget to stop and meet this couple as they're preparing to go. Lord bless.